Let's read from God's Word. And uh, if y'all will stand for God's, the reading of God's Word. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 6 says, And these things which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, uh, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign around your hands, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, I pray that we will just remember uh, just how great you are. Lord, that you have done so much for us, that you love us in spite of our own sin. And we just give you all the glory and honor and praise. Proudly sings in your name. Amen. We have a special uh, guest that's sharing uh, some of his uh, testimony. Phil Hansen is with us, and so I want to ask you to come up and share with us. I've been asked this morning to tell you a story, and there are a few of you people here who have heard this story, so you just have to bear with me. But probably 95% of you folks have probably never heard this story. And uh, there was a man named George, not our George, but there's a man named George. In February of 1954, he got off work from the Colonial Baking Company and was ready to catch the bus, a little short city bus ride home, smoking his favorite King Edward cigar. And for you young people who don't know about King Edward cigars, uh, they're pretty nasty. It's about as cheap a cigar as you could buy. Uh, just a little side note, incidentally. My mother, when she was 16 years old, her first job in Jacksonville, Florida, was packing King Edward cigars in boxes. So <laughs> that's just a little side note. But anyway, I digress. Uh, George got on the city bus to, to go home. The bus was very crowded. There was one empty seat on the bus. So he took that seat. In the seat next to him was a man named Harold, who was a new Christian. He had a red Gideon Bible that someone had given him, and he was reading it. And he started talking to George and telling George what God had done in his life as he had become a Christian. Uh, George was pretty intrigued by it all. He said, this is interesting. So they conversed for the several blocks, as Providence would have it, they both got off on the same stop. As it turned out, George lived one, north, my, or excuse me, one block north of the bus stop. Harold lived one block south of the bus stop. So as George was getting away, and it's, as I said, in February, it's already dark, and George was trying to get home, Harold is telling him more and more about what God had done in his life. And George is saying, I've got to get home. My wife Thelma, my four children are waiting on me there. And if I don't get there quickly, she's not going to be real happy with me. So eventually they parted. And in their parting, Harold said, well, George, we have a Bible study at our house on Tuesday nights. And we're studying the book of John and would love to have you and your wife here. And George said, well, I have four children. 
Harold said, I have five children. Bring them. They can entertain themselves in the back. Everything will be fine. George said, I'll talk to my wife, Thelma, about it and make a decision. Well, lo and behold, that next Tuesday night, George and Thelma appeared at Harold's house for the Bible study. To make a long story short, they came back week after week and, of course, started really depending and seeing what the Lord is doing in their lives and became real servants of theirs, of, of the Lord, through this Bible study. George felt the calling of God and said, God has more for me than just coming here to this Bible study. I know he wants more of me. After some prayer and consideration, after some months passed, he quit his job, packed up his wife and four children. They moved to Dallas, Texas, where he attended and graduated from Dallas Bible College. Dallas Bible College became a big part of Dallas Theological Seminary, as I understand. So it was there that George went to school. He said, I know I need schooling if I'm going to serve the Lord in a ministry, as I think he's called me. So after graduation... God had plans for him, of course. He sent him to a rescue mission. Now, some of you young people may not have ever heard of a rescue mission. A rescue mission, there's one here in town, Jimmy Hale Mission. And if you ever have the opportunity to go and serve there, you need to. If you've never had the opportunity, you need to go and serve one time. It's an amazing experience. You're dealing with people who our society, I think, would call outcast. They're downtrodden. We have people uh, here in our church who work with the Salvation Army. It's very similar, very similar th people that they deal with day in and day out. Well, that's where God called George to minister, is at the rescue mission. He ministered there for many years, affected the lives of hundreds, if not thousands, of people through the years, through the many years that he worked there and served God there. I, I, I sometimes wonder, well, how many of those people came to Christ because of what George did? I don't know. One day we may know. But anyway, after some time there, George's wife, Thelma, passed away from cancer. And after some past, more time passed, he continued to serve he married a widow named Jean, and Jean was happy to serve with George in the capacity there at the rescue mission for a while. After some time passed, though, there was a church in Alaska that needed a pastor. So George felt the calling to go to Alaska. So he and Jean packed up. The children had grown and gone by now. He and Jean packed up and moved to Alaska. There in Alaska, he served as pastor of that church for about four years. And lo and behold, God wasn't through with him. God said, I want you to do something else. He heard back from the rescue mission that it wasn't doing well. And he felt God's tugging on his heartstrings. I need to go back and serve again in the rescue mission. 
So he went back to the rescue mission where he served for a number of other years. All in all, he served over 40 years at the rescue mission. As I said, affecting lives of scores of people, both men and women. So it, it, it's just hard to, over 40 years, how many people came through there that, you know, he was able not only to minister to their physical needs, but he was also able to introduce them to Christ. So it's just a, a marvelous example of his obedience. He's now retired, still lives there, but he, it was Gateway Rescue Mission in Jackson, Mississippi, where he served. Now, I've heard this story many times in my life, many times. The greatest time I ever heard it was when George preached the funeral at my dad's funeral, preached the message at my dad's funeral. My dad was Harold, Harold Hansen. He's the one that introduced George and his family to Christ. So you see, we're not called, all of us are not called to speak to hundreds or thousands. We're called to speak to one, one man, one person. My dad used to challenge me a lot, <laughs> as you could imagine. He was kind of like someone else in our midst, and I didn't ask him if I could use his name, but I'm going to use it anyway. He's somewhat like Tony Cooey. And uh, he talked about Christ to a number of people. I'm not like Tony Cooey. Not many people are. I'm not like my dad, but he used to challenge me. Man, my dad would challenge me. There's two verses that come to mind that he used to quote to me more often than I wanted him to, okay? I heard it once, Dad, I understand, but he would quote it again and again and again. The first one that comes to mind is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. And it says, this is what Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. I said, Dad, I'm not a preacher. He said, God gave you a mouth, didn't he? Speak the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. He didn't say just whenever it's convenient, be prepared at all times. Used to work on me with that till, you know, I was tired of hearing it, but now I wish I could hear him say it again. And then the other verse that he used to quote to me is from 1 Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Man, those are hard things to follow, aren't they? They're tough. They're tough. But that's what the Word of God instructs us. It wasn't my father instructing me. It's the word of God instructing me. Now, 
I've not done a good job of that throughout the years, always. But uh, I was going to leave you with this for Father's Day as a, as a thing. Tony has this line that he uses, I know, when he meets strangers and starts talking to them about the Lord. His line is, well, tell me, how are you doing spiritually? Well, I stole a line from a guy, a friend of mine of, in Jackson, Mississippi, not George, but another guy that I knew that was from Jackson. His name was Jim Winstead, and he's going to be with the Lord. But Jim's line was, tell me about your faith. That was, it just caught me that that's not invasive to them. It's not like you need to be a Christian. Thing. It's just a question, a simple question. It doesn't matter what they are, who they are, their background. You, to, you ask someone, tell me about your faith, and it just catches them all off guard, just most of the time. The great thing is when you ask someone who is a believer, tell me about your faith, and they start telling you, have great fellowship with them, as it's happened to me in, on a number of occasions. But anyway, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to tell the story about my dad, who was, who is now with the Lord, and uh, but uh, a real challenge to not only me, I don't think, but to each one of us to always be ready to give that answer.
Good morning, and happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. It's a special day for us all, and um, hope we're going to have a good day, and we're starting it off the right way, and it's with the Lord. And uh, the song that, um, that Linda and Sharon is back there. <laughs> May I know? She's back there. And uh, we call her Phantom Sharon today. And, um, but she's back there, and she's going to be... Uh, helping me uh, lead and worship here. and uh, But this is Father's Day, and that was the reason why we picked this song out, how deep the Father's love for us. Because guys, as dads, you know, we need to be patterning ourselves after the Lord. We show the type of love that, that he shows his own children. And that's kind of what it's uh, all about today. So I want to ask you to stand, and uh, let's sing together. Let's sing Praise the Father, Praise the Son. Sovereign God, O matchless King, the saints adore, the angels sing, and fall before the throne of grace. To you belongs the highest praise. These sufferings, this passing time, under your wings. I will abide and every enemy shall flee you are my hope and victory I'm sorry for that oh praise the Father praise the Son praise the Spirit three in one clothed in power and in grace the name of For my soul, thy great descent has made me whole. Your word my heart has welcomed home. Now peace like water ever flows. Oh, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, clothed in power. Praise. 
Praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, clothed in power and in grace, the name above all other names, the name above all other names. Good, good father. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night, yet you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're good. Good Father, who you are, who you are, who you are, and I'm loved by you. Who I am, who I am, who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. Searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am. Who I am, your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to Unexplainable, I can hardly think as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are. Who you are, and I love by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. 
It's because of who we are is the reason why God loves us. David Howard's going to come and he's going to sing about the wonderful grace of our Father because it's who he is and not who we are. So y'all may be seated and David come up. please.
Thank you, David, for that, and appreciate Ron and Linda and Sharon this morning. Um, we're very blessed to have so many people who are talented musically, and um, when you get a chance to go away, like Teresa and I did this last week, and go to another church, you recognize that um, we're very blessed to have so many people here who who love the Lord, and that church is as well, but uh, specifically I was thinking about Ron and Linda and Sharon and just their time and effort. We appreciate all that they do here at Grace. There's so many that minister to us through song, and uh, we thank the Lord uh, for them. Teresa spent one week with me without interruption. We went 2,300 miles, a little bit over 2,300 miles, and I was reminded of God's wonderful creation. We went to um, Niagara Falls on our trip, and we had been on the Canadian side many times, but never, <clears throat> excuse me, never on the American side, so we took advantage of that, and we went to see the Ark, and that's quite something. If you've never been, I encourage you to go, take, take your family with you. Um, it's, it was really awesome. There was this family there and a father and, and, and mother and about, looked like three or four boys. And um, he's just explaining things as he's going along and having an opportunity to share with his kids and share the gospel with his kids. And I'm like, that's what a father does, right? Father shares the gospel with his children. And so it was great. And then we um, were able to go to, um, on the way back, Gettysburg. That was my thing. I wanted to go by Gettysburg, and um, wow, I, I, I imagined a field of battle, but I don't think I imagined it to be that massive, and um, so just the Lord gave us a good rest, and it's good to be back, and I just want to tell you from the beginning, I love you guys, I had an opportunity to think about how blessed I am to be among you, and to know you, and um, to be able each week just to open God's word, uh, I didn't envision it this week being in a jungle, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> there's an opportunity this week for you to bring your uh, children and your grandchildren, anybody in the neighborhood, to come and to uh, Vacation Bible School. It starts tomorrow night. You know, Vacation Bible School is a very important ministry. I mean, how many kids are introduced to the gospel just through that one ministry? And so uh, we never take those things for granted. We're thankful for 
Andrea and all those that labor with her because this stage was not just her doing. So we really, really appreciate all of you guys. Um, this morning I want to talk about final words. Um, sometimes we don't know if when we're speaking to someone if they are final words. You ever thought about that before? That maybe I'm having the last conversation with so-and-so. And it's kind of hard to program your mind to think like that because we're so used to just, we get up in the morning and it's the next day and we're doing what we do and we do the next thing and then we'll say, we see you, we'll see you next week and, and we might not. I mean, between now and next week, one of you or myself may go to be with the Lord. It can happen. You never know when, when you're speaking your final words to someone. But then there are times when you might know. I remember um, my mom when she was sick with cancer and her final words to me, to me were, I love you, love you, love you. I'll never forget that. Those were her final words. Um, final words make an impression. And they're intended to make an impression. And sometimes we know when those final words are and sometimes we don't. I want you for our consideration this morning and next week and the reason I say next week is because I thought it would just be one message, but as I got to study, and I'm like, there's absolutely no way it's going to be two messages on final words. And the final words are from a father to a son. I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings. You might have to brush away the cobwebs. All right, it's in the, the book is in the Old Testament. 1 Kings, chapter 2. That's where we want to have some time this week and next, so there's no pressure on me to be at a certain point today. I'll just let the Lord lead. And having said that, let's pray for his guidance together. Lord, you know that it has been a privilege for me this week to labor in study of your word. And what I've found to be true, Lord, is there's so much here for us to consider. And we're just taking a few moments this morning to do that. And as we consider David's final words to Solomon, his son, over these next two weeks, Lord, I, I pray that we would be open to being taught and to being reminded about things that are so important. We think about the generations of children and young people growing up today and the challenges that they face. In a world of uncertainty, we can proclaim with certainty there is but one God and there is but one Savior and that is Jesus Christ the Lord. And we can say with certainty that our Savior is coming for those that belong to Him. And so I pray this morning if there's anyone in our midst who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that today could be that day. God, we just give you the service and we ask for your Spirit to guide us and to lead us in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.
Thursday, December 21st, 1899. That was a few years ago. After cutting short a Kansas City crusade and returning home in ill health, D.L. Moody told his family, I am not discouraged. I want to live as long as I am useful, but when my work is done, I want it to be up and off. The next day, Moody awakened after a restless night. In careful, measured words, he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. His son will concluded after his father, that his father, excuse me, was dreaming. This is no dream, he said to his son. It is beautiful. It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. Some of his final words, he said to his son, You know, final words are spoken at events like graduations where it's intended that the valedictorian of the class um, would speak and that all of the students who are graduating would listen. But how many of you this morning can recall the speech of the valedictorian of your class? (laughs) I can't. I can't remember. That was a few years ago. Their final words between a husband and wife when a husband and or wife these days goes off to war, not knowing if their spouse will ever return. Their final words spoken to sons and daughters as they're dropped off to college. And for some of you, that's coming soon. I remember when we dropped Caleb off, our oldest son, I had final words for him. And do you know, my words, they were many words. I couldn't stop saying things to him. Oh, I have one more thing to say, son. Oh, by the way, there's one more thing I want you to know. Um, For our purposes this morning, we want to look at what David's final words were to his son, Solomon. And I think in order to appreciate that, there are two introductory thoughts that we need to deal with. One of them is actually in the text in verse 1 of First King, Kings 2. But the first one, I wanted us to think about the man David. I think in order to appreciate what's going on, we have to think about the man David. And he's coming to the point of the end of his life. And you think about David's life, wow, right? There's so much to consider. Um... But I think it's important for us to be reminded that this was a man who was labeled by the Lord as a man after God's own heart. That's quite a lofty description, wouldn't you say? In fact, when you consider his life, you go, a man after God's own heart? But that's what the scriptures tell us. He was also a man of tremendous faith, as we'll see in an illustration later on. A man of tremendous faith in his God. It got me to thinking about my own life, you know. How would the Lord describe me? How would he describe you? What would be said of us in relationship to the Lord? Fathers, what would your son say of you? 
What will your daughters say of you? Grandfathers and grandmothers, what would your children and grandchildren say of you? Is that important? You can speak if you're visiting with us. I'm, I'm okay with you guys speaking back. Most of the time. <laughs> yes, it's important. It's important that we understand this, fathers and grandfathers, that today might be our last day. What's the impression that we've left with our children and our grandchildren while David was a man after God's own heart and a man of what I consider to be great faith, he was also a man of tremendous failure. He had tremendous failure in his life. I mean, what two things first come to your mind when you think about David? You think about murder? You think about adultery? What do you think about? Imagine that. I mean, as many psalms as he wrote, we don't think about those things, but... Oftentimes we think about we think about his failure. We think about the murder of Uriah, his affair with Bathsheba. And those are mentioned and known many times because that's what we're most familiar with. But he had other failures in his life. You know, as president, and I'm glad that I mean it's amazing how God put thing, put things together this morning. But as David was thinking, you know, as president the whole time in the life of David, grace. You know what's present in your life as a believer? If you belong to the Lord, grace. We're saved by grace and we live by grace. I don't deserve heaven and you don't either. But we get it if we're born again. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> it's okay if you say a couple amens, it's fine. There's one thing we can say, too, as we look at what we consider to be success, being described as a man after God's heart, having great faith, and when we consider his tremendous failure, one of the things I, that really caught my eye this week, and I wanted to, to share it with you, was a few words that David had from Psalm 51. I would like to, to proposed that David had a wonderful relationship with his God. That he knew who his God was. That he knew even in the midst, which in the context of Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin before God. In the midst of that, we find that David really had an incredible relationship with God. He understood who he was. He understood his loving kindness. He understood his compassion in the midst of great sin. And that's what the scriptures reveal. Look what it says. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Do you know the loving kindness of the Lord this morning? Do you know that? In Psalm 136, there are statements that are made. And a statement made, and then there's an expression. The loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting and then another statement is made and the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting do you know that the love of the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting he says according to the greatness of your compassion blot out my transgressions 
And then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When I did a little word study on that, I, I wanted to share it with you. Because these are two incredible pictures when we think about what David is actually saying here with God and his relationship with his heavenly father. When he says, wash me thoroughly from sin, the word wash means to be purified. Now listen to the picture. The Hebrew word is used to describe one appearing before the Lord in clean clothes. Exodus 19 is a great example of this. In the passage, listen to what is said. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. Why? For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So while the people could wash their garments before the appearing of the Lord, listen to this great truth. There is only one that can wash away iniquity. And that's the Lord. And do you know what? David knew it. One of the, one of the most, I, th I think it's frightening in one sense, and the most, it's so surreal. It's like, as I get older, and I look in the mirror, I realize how dirty I am. I'm a dirty man. Like, Dad, you're a dirty man? I'm a dirty man. I've got dirt all over me. How about you? We're all sinners. Every day, we're confronted with the battle against the flesh. David knew that the Lord could thoroughly wash him, but he also knew, look in the verse, and cleanse me from my sin. He knew he could cleanse him. The word cleanse means to be made clean or pure. It was a word in the Old Testament used to describe a leper being cleansed. Whoa, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Because if you're a leper, you want it to be what? Cleansed, healed. It was a disease that ostracized them from the rest of culture, the rest of people. My friends, David understood that he was unclean and that there was only one that could cleanse him. Do you know that today? You know, there's only one person that can clean up your life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? He can do it. He can do it, and for my life, he's done it. He's cleaned me up, and I stand righteous before God, not based on my righteousness, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I've been clothed in his righteousness. So that's one introductory thought, the life of David, and that's a very short synopsis. But that's where the Lord led me as I was reading and studying. The second introductory thought comes from verse 1 of 1 Kings 2. Look at what verse 1 says. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying... Now, that word charged is a really important word in the Hebrew. Um, and I think it's important for us to understand it because it has kind of a couple of different thoughts. The word charged is a picture of a superior verbally communicating to a subordinate. So it's used in that capacity. 
But there's a couple of examples of how that word is used. It's used when God's speaking to his creation. I gave you an example here, chapter uh, 2, verses 16 and 17 of Genesis. The Lord God charged the man. That's the word there. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat from it, you will surely die. You just read that not long ago because you're in the book of Genesis. Right? You've taken that challenge. So today we're in verse 16. And if you haven't read chapter 2 yet, well, speed read. Right? Keep going. But here is an example of the word charge, where God is charging His creation. But there's also... The word in the Old Testament is used, the word charge was also used in connection with a father's instruction to a son. There's an example other than this one given to us in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 20. It says, So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as who had commanded him? His father. His father charged him. Oh, listen, isn't this awesome? Like, so, so kids, when your father charges you to do something, you're just like, yes! <laughs> because that's one of the ways I honor my father, is by obeying my father. I grew up in a time when there was no delay. You guys remember the no delay? You young people need to know about the no delay. I left my message, message this morning for my father. Um, I love my father. He was a strict man. He was in the Navy. There's something about guys that go into the military. And the alarm clock is just set for an ungodly hour. And he introduced that to me when I was a kid. And when he said, son, I want you to get up in the morning and we're going to go outside and we're going to till the garden or pull weeds or whatever it is that we were going to do, he did not mean when you feel like it. <laughs> he meant right away. I remember one morning, this is a side note, just thought of it. I remember one morning, I thought, I was a teenager. Something happens to you when you're in your teenage years, you're just like, I got this. I know more than he does. He needs to get with the program. Sleep is good for us. We need to sleep. And so I was like, I'm not getting up. I'm just going to sleep. There was no delay. He walked in the room, and he came over, and he shook me and said, get out of bed, it's time to go to work. Now, I didn't say to my dad, be with you in a minute. Do you know what I did? I got right up. Hey, guys. As Philip was sharing this morning, the charge to witness, it's now. We're not waiting for anything. The Lord's already told us we need to witness, right? We don't need any more instruction. We already have it. As sons and daughters, you've already been charged by God to obey your parents and to honor your parents. And might I encourage you to do that? And by the way, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that whole honoring bit was like stopped when I was 18. 
doesn't stop. You honor your father and your mother for a lifetime. Because guess what? As I used to teach my boys, you're going to be a father one day. And you're going to want the respect that you deserve as a father. Well, so those are the two ways that they're used. And so when we come to 1 Kings, we see that word charge there used in relationship to a father communicating to a son. You're like, well, what did he communicate? Well, there's a lot here. And that's why I wanted to take a couple of weeks because actually you could probably just do a series on it. There's so much here, but I only have two weeks, but I have more maybe if the Lord doesn't come get us first. The first thing that David talks about is death. That's different, right? I mean, you're thinking of the final words to a son, you're going to talk about death? My friends, listen to me, death is a reality. The only way that any of us are going to escape death as believers is if the Lord comes back for his church. Otherwise, we're going to be cremated or we're going to be put in a box and go to dust. How's that sound? Isn't that cool? It is if you belong to Christ. Because you know you're going to be raised with a new body. How many of you are waiting on that one? Right? Let's, let's go. Right? The Lord's going to transform us. In a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. He says, look in verse 2. I am going the way of all the earth. That's a different kind of phrase. But the expression is used when referring to death, to physical death. In fact, Joshua uses it. I gave you an example there. Joshua uses it in, in chapter 23 of Joshua when he is charging the people of Israel. He says, now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm going to die. Notice here that David is fully aware of his frailty. He knew he was going to die. In fact, later in the text, in chapter 2, it says he did die. David did die. He was aware that he was just a man. Hey guys, unless the Lord comes, we're going to die. You say, that, how is that encouraging? I don't know. I mean, if you belong to Christ, I think it can be. I mean, I've sat with many people in their last moments and heard expressions like, Lord, I'm ready. Take me. Now, if you're laying there and you don't know if you know the Lord, that's not good. That's why I would encourage you, since you don't know, and I don't know when my death is, don't leave this place today unless you know for certain you belong to Christ. <laughs> don't leave. Can't wait. David understood his frailty. Who knows our days fully? Us or the Lord? The Lord. I am 55 this year in October. Wow. Thinking, man, Lord, I have lived a lot of days. But there are some in this congregation who've lived longer. You can see them. They look older than I do. They've lived longer. And it's a blessing. Every day, 
that we live is a gift from God. And every breath that we take is by the grace of God. So, he knows the numbers, the number of our days. He's numbered them. I don't know them. And since I don't know them, I think there ought to be this wisdom. We talk about it. Every day we need to live like it's our last. We really do. Because it could be. You say, well, that's kind of depressing. I don't think so. I kind of have the opposite view. I just go, hey, I get to live for the Lord today, and he may come for me today. My appointed day may be today. It may be your day. You're like, no, I'm in control of that. I mean, look at all the commercials about health today. It nauseates me. I love to exercise. Don't get me wrong. But like, I mean, what's man doing? I want to live longer. Well, who's in charge? The Lord, he's numbered our days. He knows all of them full well. So we need to understand the frailty of man. And David points that out. I believe it. I don't believe it's just, hey, look, I'm dying. But there's more than just that. I mean, there's the thought that, hey, look, I'm not in control. And there comes an end to my days. There's some scripture that speaks of this. Job chapter 14. Look what it says. Man, comma, who is born of woman, comma. Boy, we could just preach on that one today, couldn't we? Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Ugh. I mean, how many of you have memorized that verse before? Right? What does he say? Man is what? Short-lived. His life is short. Guys, it's here today and gone tomorrow. David writes in two passages, Psalm 39 and Psalm 103. He says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. Then in Psalm 103, verse 15, he says this, For man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Here today, gone tomorrow. My grandparents, I was very blessed to see a lot of their life. In fact, my mom's dad, I would have been about 40 years old. Well, actually, a little older than that, 45 years old, when he went to be with the Lord. That's a lot of years for a grandfather to see a grandson. I was blessed to see long life with my grandparents. But you know what? They died. Listen to me, young people. Life brings with it, as Job said, much turmoil. And it also brings with it death. And so the question becomes, are you ready to die? You say, Pastor Thad, I'm going to college and then I've got this and then I've got that. And that's how I thought. I don't know. We don't know our days. In fact, it's interesting in speaking about David and contrasting uh, David with the Lord. Listen to what it says in Acts 13. For David, after he had served the purpose of God, in his own generation fell asleep. 
and he was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. He died. So the very guy that we're talking about is confirmed in contrasting him to the Lord. He did die and he did decay. But not our Lord. The Bible clearly says it. And he, in uh, Hebrews, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die, what, once, and then comes judgment. Um, so David, in the beginning of his address to his son, talks about his death. But there's something else he talks to him about in verse 2, and that's strength. This is an interesting uh, little verse here. Look what it says. I am going the way of all the earth, he says, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Woo, that's good, isn't it? Be strong and show yourself a man. That's pretty strong language. Well, David was what? A king. And what was Solomon going to do? Take what? The throne. And what did he need to be? Strong. Now, we need to consider what that means in the context, we also need to consider where strength comes from. Because if you look at man today, man's focused on what he can build up in terms of strength. That's why you have guys that work out all the time, nothing wrong with working out, great workout. But there's an outward strength that people see, but there's an inward strength that comes from the Lord that people don't all the time see, but need to see. So David's charge to Solomon had to do with, secondly, strength. Be strong and show yourself a man. So these statements, as I was thinking through them, I'm like, that's a pretty strong challenge. Why make the statements? I asked myself that question in my office as I was thinking about it. Why did he make those statements? Did David see weakness in Solomon? It's interesting that the parallel passage to this, uh, these final words is found in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. And it does tell us in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, which primarily focus on the building of the temple, in that section, David acknowledges that Solomon was young and inexperienced. One day, young people, you will realize you are young and inexperienced. It happens. So maybe Solomon needed to hear these words because he wasn't acting strong. He was acting weak, as if no one was with him. When In David's life, who was with him? The Lord was with him. In fact, you know what it says in the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 28? David recognizes that his strength was from the Lord. Listen to what it sa he says. He says this to Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. In other words, do. And then he says, And do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, and I like the way he does, says this next phrase, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. The Lord God, my God, is with you. So he's telling Solomon, hey, listen, it's not going to be your strength. It's going to be the strength of the Lord. Hey, guys, listen, the hurdles that we face in life, the trials and the tribulations, we cannot face that on our own. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's our strength. He's who we need. And so David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard those very same words. Haven't you? Class, you have. 
Did you know that? You've heard them. There they are right there. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And listen, in the context of the passage, this is very important to hear. This was in a time of uncertainty and anxiety for Israel. Why? Moses had just what? Died. And so the Lord says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. In chapter 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous within three verses that we have recorded? He's like, time again. My friends, listen to me. Our strength comes from the Lord. Just like David told Solomon, our strength comes from the Lord. He says to Joshua, the Lord does, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you sometimes. No, that's not what he says. He says the Lord your God is with you, what? Wherever you go. Now that's kind of, I need to think about that. I like that if I'm living right. I don't like it if I'm not. But the Bible says in the New Testament in Hebrews, He will never, what, leave us or forsake us. Man, I love those words. David wanted, my friends, Solomon to know that his strength came from the Lord. And so I began to think about that. I was like, the Lord led me to this word. And I was thinking about it over and over, and I, I have to share this with these guys. And so I wrote it out in a statement, and I want to talk about this word just for a moment. It led me to think this, that great, with great responsibility, great fortitude is required. Said another way, great responsibility requires great fortitude. Now there's a word that you have to brush back the cobwebs in the dictionary. It's like, I haven't, when's the last time you used the word fortitude in your language? Not very often. But I thought it was a, a very interesting word. Webster defines it this way. Fortitude is that strength or firmness of mind, courage of soul, which enables a person to encounter danger with coolness. <laughs> to bear pain or adversity without murmuring without depression or despondency. Fortitude is courage built on strength of soul. Who is the one that owns every believer? The Lord. Who is with you all the time as a believer? The Lord. Where does our strength come from? The Lord. One theologian, when writing about fortitude, which I didn't know this theologian wrote about it until I started researching it, he describes it this way, fortitude not only combines strength and courage, but conviction. With Solomon, there would need to be conviction like there was with David. If you're going to be a ruler, there has to be conviction. And this is one of my, um, I guess, landing zones. I don't think there's a whole lot of that going on today, that conviction thing. Conviction is a willingness to stand in the midst of fierce winds. Would you say that the winds are blowing hard in our culture against Christianity today? Hard. Gale force winds. Hurricane winds. 
And living in Louisiana for the number of years I did, I heard about those hurricane winds, and I actually rode out a couple of storms with my parents, seeing the results of those winds. My friends, listen to me. The winds are blowing in our culture. They're blowing hard. Conviction is the willingness to stand in the midst of fierce winds against what the culture says is just okay. Like, for example, let me just give you a couple. I thought there needs to be conviction. Young people, listen to me. There needs to be conviction in your life, and that conviction comes from knowing the Lord and getting in this book. Okay? So that you're not letting man and culture define what you think, but you're letting God, who's already said it, define it for you. Isn't that awesome? He didn't even need our help. He's already given it to us. So there ought to be conviction when it comes to adultery. It's accepted in our culture. It's widely accepted in our culture. Sleep with who you want to. It doesn't matter. You're free to do what you want to with your body. Is that what God says to the Christian? No. We ought to have conviction there. Why? Because God's already talked about it. There ought to be conviction when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. Do we love the sinner? Yes. But we don't stand to the side and say, well, it's okay because we're living in 2019 now. Get with it, pastor. What I would say to all believers in love is you get with it. Get with what God has already said. We love the sinner. We witness to them. We share the gospel. But we stand against what God has said. We should. And you know what that comes with? Conviction. Because we believe, you know, God said it, so I need to do it. The winds are blowing in those directions and have been for some time And do you know that the winds have entered the church and they're blowing against pastors and teachers constantly. And pastors and teachers, unfortunately, some of them are caving in and giving to alternative lifestyles because that's the wave of the culture. But there should be conviction. (laughs) Solomon would need it. David had it. So for us today, conviction in terms of adultery and homosexuality is sin in general. But then abortion's another one. Boy, it's, there's a lot going on with that these days. We need to pray for our senators and our governors and all those who are in authority over us. That God would give them the wherewithal to stand in the midst of blowing winds. And young people, I wish I had better news for you, but I think those winds are going to be so hard in the next 20 to 25 years, I'm not sure where the American church will be. I used to say when I was in school years ago, back in the 80s, I remember doing a project for Dr. Wex. And in that project, we kind of set up our church and what it would look like. And I had these thoughts that the church in 20 years would look a lot different. That there would be a lot more emphasis on family and a lot less emphasis on faith. And you know what? Happened. Happened. We're living in the midst of it. Well, priority number one is my family. Is that priority number one for the believer? Answer, no. Priority number one for the believer is relationship with the Lord. 
fellowship with God. So, will in 20 years there be buildings like this with numbers of people in them? Or will there, there be few? See, I'm about to go to England and I know what it was like over there when I went to Sidmouth, England a few years ago. There are just a few. I'm talking about half of the ones that are sitting in this section here. Just a few left, a small remnant of believers. You're like, where'd they go? I'll tell you where they went. The culture went down the toilet, and so did the Christians. And you know what they stopped doing? Standing. Hey, guys, this should not be broadcast news. The winds are blowing hard against what God has already said. We need to stand. Well... Let me give you some things to think about as a father. I'll share the next illustration with you next week. I don't think that would be a little bit long today if I took you there now. So, David challenges his son to strength. In the context of the passage, the word strong is a picture of a battle scene. So when he says to him in verse Two, I am going the way of all the earth, be strong. It's this picture of a battle scene. Well, David faced battles in his life. Solomon would face battles in his life. And as fathers, you and I face battles. We face giants in the land. You remember there was one that was willing to stand against the giant. You remember who he was? His name was David. Can I get you to turn there real quick? Please over to... 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. So he is, in his final address, dealt with death. He's dealt with strength. And if there was one who knew that the Lord was in the battle with him, it would have been David. <laughs> in fact, this was before he was a king. He was a shepherd boy. So in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, it says this. Look at this. I'm just going to highlight some of these things because many of us are familiar with the story. It says, I love the way David does this. It says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? We know that the giant was Goliath. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? In other words, who is this dude? Does he, do you not, does he not know who he's messing with? The armies of the living God? You skip down to verse 31. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I imagine that. I mean, this little shepherd boy, man, he's going to go fight the giant. Unbelievable faith. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him 
and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. We know the rest of the story, don't we? He stood there in his own strength or in the strength of the Lord? Strength of the Lord. And he faced that giant and with one stone, he slung that stone and it hit that giant on the forehead and that giant went down. Man. That's what he's wanting to pass on to his son. You see, guys, when we try to fight the battles in our own strength, that's not good. It's not good in any way. We lose out. We need to fight the battles in the strength of the Lord. And that's what David wanted Solomon to do. So I got to thinking about it. Well, there are giants that fathers face, and since this is Father's Day, I wanted to give you just a few of those. These are some giants that fathers face in our culture and our time here today. I want us to think about these. The giant of leading the home. <laughs> that is a giant. Who is to lead the home according to God? Fathers. Fathers are to lead the home. In fact, do you know the instruction in Ephesians chapter 6? Do you know who the instruction is to? Fathers. Fathers bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers. I would just point out this. There are a lot of mothers leading the home today. In fact, I would say there are a lot of women leading the home today. That's not God's way, is it? God said different. It's not something I make up. It's something God said. God said that husbands are to be the head of their wives as Christ is the head of the church. So there's the giant of leading the home. You say, Thad, but I'm a timid guy. The Lord will give you the strength to lead. Depend on him. The giant of loving your wife like the Lord Jesus loved the church. That's a giant. You're like, that, but you don't know how it is to live with her. No, I don't. But do you know what? She's got to live with you. The giant of loving your wife is loving her unconditionally and sacrificially. The giant of bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, fathers, that's a giant. I have three sons, and I would say I have not, I didn't do a perfect job with that. Just didn't do it. But it was my responsibility. The giant of giving the Lord first place in your life, that's a giant, fathers. But I'm going to tell you why I put that one on there. Because your children are watching you. And they know what first place is for you. 
The giant of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a giant. The giant of loving others. <laughs> That's a giant. You can just look at me and go, well, if that loving you is difficult, that's fine. Because loving you is difficult too, right? It's true. Because love does not what? Seek its own. See? The giant of praying for those who persecute you. There's a giant. You ever prayed with your kids for neighbors who were driving you out of your mind? Or family that was driving you out of your mind? The giant of witnessing to others. That's a giant. Phil mentioned that earlier. You know, when the Lord Jesus gave the commission to his disciples, do you know, he tried to um, cushion that for them. You know what he said to them? Lo, I am with you, what? Always. Even to the end of the age. Final words. Well, they mean something. There's more that David says, and we'll look at that next week. I found this story I thought was really interesting about a German Christian. His name was Hermann. And he was to be executed by the Nazis during World War II. And in his cell, on the night before he was to be killed, he wrote a note to his parents. And he said two feelings occupied his mind. First of all, he said to them, I am first in a joyous mood. And secondly, I'm filled with great anticipation. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? And then he made this beautiful affirmation in writing to his parents. He said, in Christ I have put my faith. And precisely today I have faith in him more firmly than ever. Finally, he urged his parents to read the New Testament for comfort. And then he said, look, there, everywhere throughout the New Testament, you will find jubilation over and over again, and you will find grace present over and over again, made available to those that belong to God. And then in his closing part of his letters, he says, What can befall a child of God? Of what should I be afraid? On the contrary, he closes his letter to his parents and he says, Rejoice. Listen to me. When we speak words to our children and our grandchildren, they may be final words. We don't know. But they certainly need to be measured. Because the most important thing that we can pass on to our children and our grandchildren is a spiritual heritage that says this, I trust in the name of the Lord my God who will never leave me and never forsake me. Let's pray together. Lord, we um, have much to be thankful for. I was reflecting on this Father's Day. I thought about two things. I thought about the faith of my Father. I'm thankful that He belongs to you. I'm thankful, Lord, for the many hours of investment that He made in my life. 
spiritually and in every other way. I'm just thankful for him. Lord, I'm thankful for my sons, for every one of them. I'm thankful that they belong to you most of all. I'm thankful that they're yours. God, I pray for them that they would live their lives separated to you. And I'm thankful for my grandchildren, my grandgirls. Lord, the thing that I want most for them is to know you. And so I pray for their salvation. And Lord, I pray as a father and a grandfather that I will be an example like, even though obviously we have this great work here of David in his final words, but wow, he had a lot of failure in his life. But he understood your forgiveness and he kept going. Lord, I pray that we would knowing our shortcomings, knowing our sin, that we would keep going, recognizing that you forgive us, that we're not to wallow around in that sin, but we're to claim the victory that's in Jesus Christ. I pray that our children would see the humility in us to recognize that we are sinners saved by grace and that, Lord, every single hour we need you. I thank you for this example that you've given us in your word. And I pray as we continue to unfold it, that for us it would make an impression in our lives and that we would come to understand that while this was such a tremendous gift for Solomon, as he sat there and he listened to his father, we just ask that your spirit would work in our hearts and in our lives this morning. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.